Amen. How many of you out there, raise your hand if you enjoy opening things up and, and seeing how they work inside? A couple of you, yeah. I talked to Jose this week, and he said he'd love to do that even as a kid. Sometimes he would ask his parents for a gift just so he could open it up, whether it's a TV or a radio or a kaleidoscope, he'd crack it open and look at all those inner workings. I think about my wife, Carolyn. You know, Proverbs says that a wise woman builds her house, and, and two things she opened up recently, are both of our computers were running like turtles, and I'm afraid to open those things up, but she got in there and installed new RAM in both of our computers, and boom, they, they run like lightning now. More recently, we had a microwave that would stay on even when you opened the door. But we unplugged it because we figured, you know, growing that third eyeball, it's not a cost worth paying for a warm breakfast. We figure we're going to have to buy a new microwave. But while I'm in Ohio, she opens up two panels on that microwave, finds out there's a $7 part, puts it in, and boom, we're, we're back and running. Why, why do I start there? Well, today, I want to do that with the Apostle Paul. I want to open him up and see his inner working, see what makes him tick. Because we've talked the past couple of weeks in Philippians about a couple of things about Paul. That he's obsessed with Christ, the church, the gospel, God's glory. That he saw that even in his imprisonment, God's good news was advanced and, and he found joy in that, but what is inside of this man that makes him tick that way, that makes him believe that way, and I believe at the core of it in his heart is what Philippians 1.21 says, he really believed this, he really understood this, that to live is Christ, and to die is gain, he carried a belief inside of him that gave him hope in life, and in death. And I want to ask you this morning, does your faith do that? Does it give you hope in life and in death? So as we look at Paul and his inner workings, I want to use three T words to help us grab into what's going on inside of him. First, I want to look at his target, what he aimed for in life. Second, I want to talk about his tug of war that he had going on inside. And third, I want to talk about the takeaway for the church at Philippi and the takeaway for you and I. So let's start with the target. What did Paul aim for? You know what he aimed for? He aimed for Christ's honor in his body, whether by life or by death. Look at Philippians 1.18 with me. He said, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, here's his target, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That was Paul's target. For his life. Later on in the book, he mentions that there are others in this world who have a different target. Philippians 3, 19, he speaks of many of whom 
I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. What's their target? He says their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I think of my buddy Drew who goes to church here. He's an archer and a darn good archer. And if you've ever shot a bow and arrow, you know that if you got one arrow, you cannot aim at two targets at the same time and hit them. You've got to choose which target you're going to aim that arrow at. It's the same with our lives, folks. What is the target of your life this morning? What is the target of my life? And, and we think about the, the pull of this world and, and the glory of Christ. What happens if we try to split the difference between the two targets? You miss them both, right? What is the target of our lives? Second I want to talk about is tug of war. Paul had this inner tug of war going on. He was torn between being used by Jesus here and going to be with Jesus. He had that tug of war going on. Watch with me. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1.21. This verse shows the tug of war. On the one hand, to live is Christ. On the other hand, to, to die is gain. Okay. The live side, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. There's work to be done here. That pulled on Paul. But back to the tug of war. At the end of verse 22, he says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm, I'm hard pressed between the two. What about dying would pull him? Well, it's right there in verse 23. He says, my desire is to depart. And be with Christ, for that is far better. That, that was tugging on him. He wanted to see his Savior he loved face to face. But, but back to the living, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you see the tug of war that was going on inside of Paul? As I think about that tug of war, I think about the movie night we had last year. We had an outdoor movie night where we watched Pilgrim's Progress. And when we did that, we put our church signs out on the road where we were having that so people could find their way to the house. And we put these helium balloons on the top of the sign. We, we tied them to those signs. And what do helium balloons want to do? They want to rise and, and fly into the sky, right? Once you put that helium in there, that's Paul. There's a side of him. He wanted to depart and, and be with Christ. And that depart is a very picturesque kind of word. It was used of a soldier who would pack up his tent and move to his next outpost. It was sometimes used of a ship on the sea that would un, be untied from the dock and, and set out on the ocean. He, he wanted to go and be with Jesus. But listen, back to the balloons. Those balloons were tied to that sign with a ribbon for a reason. What was that reason? To point people to where the movie night was. Think about Paul. He wanted to be with Jesus. 
But there was a purpose for the time that he was tied here on this planet, right? To point people to Jesus and help them grow in their walk with him. That's why he said in verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He goes on to say, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. It's the same with believers today. Same, same tug of war. Maybe you felt that tug of war inside. I, in my experience, I found that the older people get, they feel that tug of war more. Longer you walk through this fallen world, you, you, you sense it more. Is it good for you to hear Paul express it? Do you know you're not alone if you're feeling that, that tug of war? But the third T I want to talk about is the takeaway. The takeaway for the Philippian church and for us sitting here today. What, what do we do with this? Well, Paul's example was to help that Philippian church and us today to hit the target in our own lives, okay? That's why he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what he was wanting to help them, to hit the target, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. So what's it mean to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel? Well, I'll give you three S's to, to kind of sum it up. Number one, he says, standing firm, standing firm, not giving ground. Okay, that's, that's the first way he defines it. Stand firm in your faith. Okay. Second, he says, striving side by side for the faith. Striving side by side comes from a Greek word where we get our word athletics. I think about our U.S. team going to Beijing, many different events, but you know what? They all stand together in one thing. They all represent the United States of America. He says, church, don't you just stand firm on your own. Stand firm side by side with those others in the body with you. Remember, you're all on the same team representing Christ Jesus. Do not let divisions and distractions divide you. How does he describe it there? He says in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm, side by side. Third one, stout-hearted. What do I mean by that? Courageous, fearless as you follow Christ. He puts it this way in verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. The word frightened is also very picturesque. In, in Greek, it would refer to a horse in a battle that got spooked and, and would run away from the battle. I saw this played out yesterday. We were at a birthday party out in the country, and there were some dry ice bombs being thrown, and nearby there was a horse in a pen, and you should have seen that horse running circles inside that pen every time uh, one of those dry ice bombs would, would go off. I promise you, if that horse was not in a pen, it would have been long gone. That horse was frightened of those explosions, and that is what Paul is saying. Believer, do not do that. Do not run away from the battle line. 
do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. Why? Why does Paul challenge us in that? Well, he gives us two reasons. The first one is this. Our courage is a sign. It's a sign to our unbelieving opponents. Okay? Verse 28. Look at it. He says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And some have wondered if the sign that Paul was thinking of in his mind was what would happen in the Colosseum. Remember, there would be a battle between the contestants, and sometimes one of them would be put into submission on the ground, and then everyone would look to Caesar for the sign. Thumbs up meant he lives. Thumbs up, thumbs down, excuse me, means he dies. Is that what Paul was thinking of, that, that the, the opponents of the Christian faith would realize they're on the thumbs down side of this equation. We don't know for sure if that's the picture he had in mind, but what we know from verse 28 is that our faithfulness in trials is a sign to our opponents that they are headed for eternal destruction and we are headed for salvation. May a wake-up call to them that they are on the wrong side of this equation and an opportunity for us to speak to them and say, hey, the reason I'm courageous right now is not me. Let me tell you about Jesus. You need him too. Throughout history, that has happened time and time again. When persecuted Christians remain bold. So much so that their captors come to believe in the Christ that they served. It's a sign to our opponents, our courage, our fearlessness. Don't be frightened by anything. But second, why, why is this important? It's important because suffering is certain in the life of the faithful Christian. It's a package deal with salvation. Listen to what he says in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's an interesting word in there. That word granted comes from the same root word where we get grace or gift from God. And maybe you're thinking, how in the world is that a gift from God to suffer, right? What is going on with this verse? Well, the key to understanding that is where it says, for the sake of Christ, for his sake the privilege of standing with and for our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it's a gift. It's not a question of if we will suffer. It's only a question of how and how much. I'm mindful that there's a big scale on this. I'm mindful of something our friend Dana suggested to us yesterday. If you decide to tune in and watch some of the Beijing Olympics, she said, how's about every time we tuned in to watch that, we use it as a reminder to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in China, meeting in underground churches, staying faithful to their Lord. He says in verse 30, 
that the Philippians, and it would apply to you and I as well, they were engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. What's that mean? That Paul's faithfulness to Jesus in his own conflict is an example to the Philippians and it's an example to us. Okay? Now as we look at that, how many of us believers are saying, I want to live like that, standing firm. But if I'm honest, sometimes I back down. I, I want to live like that, stout-hearted, but sometimes I cower away from the battle line. How? We circle around back to where we started, right? Right living comes from right belief. Inside of Paul, what made him tick was this right here. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Do we really understand that? Do we really believe that? I think that to live is Christ part, we get. I'm going to share a little bit of what we shared at my mama's funeral to break this down. So we put this slide up there. To live is Christ. I want, you, I want you to imagine you're in that funeral home in Ohio. Hempel funeral home on Monday. Relatives gathered together. Great, great grandkids and, and friends and I want to share what I shared there. To live as Christ, we got that in Mama's life. Every time she loved us, a lot of us knew that wasn't just her. That was Christ living through her. She was living the way she did for his glory. The to live as Christ part we get. But what about to die as gain? Especially when we lose someone and we miss them so much. How do we understand to die as gain? Well, I looked at that room that day and I said, in order to understand that, we have to look at this thing from her perspective. Okay? We have to look at it from her perspective. And maybe when we think about to die as gain, I think we wrestle with a couple questions. Number one, does that mean I, I have to be totally comfortable with the idea of dying? I think a lot of us relate to speaker Chris Schroeder who once said it this way. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm just not too keen on it. <laughs> right? Why? Because death is a result of a fallen world. That's why he's not too keen on it. But he's not afraid because he knows it takes him to, to be with Jesus. I said we have to look at it from her perspective. So I'm going to share a couple true stories that I shared at the funeral with you guys to help us understand what to die as gain meant for her. First, I want to show you guys something. One of my favorite memories with Mama and Papa growing up was Christmas. There were 16 grandkids and numerous great-grandkids, and we'd go over there and play in her basement, and it was somewhat of a miracle that they even remembered us all. But they even went on to get us gifts. And in one year, they got us all these blankets. I still have mine. They're probably 30-plus years old. I got the one with the, the horse on it. Now think about a blanket. Go with, go with me because we're going to use these as word pictures, right? There's nothing like a blanket to keep you warm on a cold, dark night, okay? I think about her hugs. Every time our family would go back to Ohio and we'd get in the kitchen at my mom and dad's house, my mama's there because they live in an in-law suite. And 
And she would walk around one at a time and give us the best hugs. You know, and in over time, the walk to each of us got slower and the hugs felt physically weaker and weaker, but they're always so full of love. If, if she hugged you, you knew you, knew you were loved. And, and I think about a good hug. There is nothing like seeing someone you miss and look forward to seeing and getting, getting a hug from them, right? The other thing I think about with, with Mama I was a certain food that she liked to feed the whole family whenever she could. In fact, when I think about the fact that she lived in 90 and my papa's 97, I think we can scrap everything the doctors tell us about the key to long life. You know what the key to long life is, according to Mama? Plenty of biscuits and gravy. <laughs> biscuits and gravy. In fact, we made it at our house yesterday in her honor and had it again. You know, in, in our family, there's nothing like eating biscuits and gravy with Mama, sitting across the table from her and enjoying her fellowship. And there's nothing like biscuits and gravy to fill you up. Sometimes you feel like you're never going to eat again <laughs> after you eat biscuits and gravy. In fact, there's one comedian that says that's why the South will never rise again. <laughs> there's nothing like biscuits and gravy to fill you up, but I want to walk back through those and, and talk about how each of those point us to the truth of to die is gain, okay? Think of the blanket. We said there's, there's nothing like a warm blanket to keep you warm on a cold, dark night. Think about the fact that there is, there is good in this world, right? There, there is warmth. There is beauty. There is kindness. That's because a good God created this world. That's where all that comes from. But how many of us also know, especially those of us who have been around the block a few times, that this world can also be a cold and dark place. There is evil. There, there are people who would seek to harm you. There is pain. There is suffering. There is death. Listen, not for Momo anymore. Not for Momo anymore. I like the way Isaiah 57, 1 and 2 puts it. The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers, listen, that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. I think about the fact that because of Jesus, Momo has something far better than, than a warm blanket. She is protected from every bit of evil and suffering in this world. She will never taste it again. Just thinking of her last week, she will never again experience an ambulance ride or an intensive care unit. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What about the hug? We, we said there's nothing like seeing somebody you've missed and have looked forward to seeing, getting a hug. My mama loved Jesus. If you ever prayed with her, you heard it as she prayed. She looked forward to seeing him. I can only imagine, all of us know that song. 
I like the way my dad put it. She doesn't have to imagine anymore. We on this side just can't imagine the joy inside of her as she met her Savior. And we're not told all the details, but I wouldn't be surprised if as her spirit flew to be with him, her spirit flew right into his loving arms. No wonder Paul says things like 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. No wonder he says things like Philippians 1, 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, for that is far better. That is far better. What about the biscuits and gravy? <laughs> How's he going to work that? <laughs> we said there's nothing like biscuits and gravy to fill you up, right? I looked at that room that day and said, listen, there is an amazing feast coming someday for all who believe in Jesus. Revelation 19.9 Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Told him Jesus will be at that table. Mama will be at that table. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if she tries to work biscuits and gravy into the menu that day. And we can join them. We can join them if we turn to the only one who will truly fill us up spiritually forever. Jesus put it this way in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Listen to what he says in verse 51. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I looked at that room that day and said, look, all of us in this room know how to eat biscuits and gravy. But how do you eat this living bread that Jesus is talking about? Well, we turn to Jesus from our sin. We turn to him in faith and begin a relationship with him. We trust in his death on the cross for my sin and yours. We trust in his resurrection on that third morning, which gives the believer hope that death is not the end for those who believe. That's the faith that Mama had. And for Mama, her faith is now sight. And that's how we can say to die is gain. So I, I hope that all helps us understand this a bit more. I'm going to close. Some, some folks like the Cliff's Notes. Just give it to me straight. Here it is. Paul knew where he stood with Jesus. And that gave him confidence in life and death. Do you know where you stand this morning? One of the answers to prayer at that memorial service was that it wasn't just my brother and I up there sharing the gospel. When we had a sharing time at the end, there was a man named John. I bet you John was 85 if I had to estimate and he had some back injuries, so it took him a while to get to the front. He was sitting in the back, but I'm so glad he got up there at the end of the service. And, and John looked at that whole room, and he talked about working at the UAW with my grandma. And he said, one day Catherine asked me where I stood with Jesus. 
And he said, I was honest. I told her I, I believed in him, but I walked away. And he says, she, she stayed on my case. He said, in 1970, because she was staying on his case, he went to Church of the Open Door in Ohio where, where I grew up. And he said, the second Sunday he was there, he went down and rededicated his life to Jesus. And he stood up there and he said, I thank Catherine today. He said, if I were to die today, I know where I would be. And then he looked at that whole room of people. Me and my brother cheering inside. He said, if, if you've never made that final step, don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. And he closed with this. He said, remember Jesus loves you. And you can depend on him. Father, I thank you so much for this faith that Paul had. That can be ours as well. Faith that gives us confidence in life. And whatever comes our way in this life. And in death. To live as Christ. To die as gain. Help us. Not just to know that verse. Not just to know what's in there. But to really wrestle with what does that mean. And how does that shape the way I live here. Lord help us as believers to, to stand firm. To not back down from the gospel. To not back down. To be unashamed of Jesus Christ. Help us to stand firm side by side. Removing silly, stupid, sinful divisions. That sometimes mess with your church. And help us to be stout hearted. Because we know the victory that comes in Christ. Whatever comes. May that be a sign to the watching world. May that give us opportunity to speak to them of the Savior they need. That they could have that same hope and courage in Him. And I do take just a moment and pray for our brothers and sisters in China today. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. May you keep them strong. May you encourage them. They know suffering that most of us here have never tasted and may never taste. But help us to be faithful in the opportunities we have. First to you, but also to stand with them. Lord, thank you for the hope to live as Christ, to die as gain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.